Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. I hope things are going well in your world. This Friday, the 19th, there will be a partial lunar eclipse, which is the last one of the year and the longest partial lunar eclipse in nearly 600 years. That's a long time. It's also a blood full moon in Taurus. And the reddish hue you can see should be visible to the Americas, Northern Europe, Eastern Asia, Australia, and the Pacific. It's safe to say there's some witchy shit, some witchy energy going on this weekend. My guest this week is Rachel Wilkinson. She's a writer, podcaster, and interactive story designer. Her podcast, Life Mancy, has a tagline that goes, My life was a dumpster fire. So I turn to witchcraft. I'm obsessed with that tagline. Basically, Rachel's life didn't go according to plan. And through an existential midlife crisis, she remembered how to cultivate her own magic. Also, as a speculative fiction and role-playing game writer, she's been known for her contributions to Vampire, The Masquerade, and Dune, Adventures in the Imperium. She's now past the intense midlife crisis moment and really living her best woo life. You should definitely check out Life Mancy. It's a great podcast. Rachel and I talk about that. We also talk about her midlife crisis and how it got her back into witchcraft, chaos magic, sigils, secular witchcraft, the haunted house she lived in as a kid, and a possible mild to not so mild stalking from the archangel Michael. So there's a lot of woo here. I have a couple of notes for you for this episode. First, Rachel mentions Ostara. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's one of the eight Sabbaths or holidays of the year for witches and pagans, and it celebrates the spring equinox. Second, I mentioned that I have a theory about people who have lived in haunted houses, but it gets cut off by our potential visit from Archangel Michael. Stay tuned to find out more about that. My theory, though, is that people who live in haunted houses or have very early woo experiences are likely to somehow incorporate the woo into their daily lives as adults or experience another intense woo something later in life. Third, we talk about sigils, and in case you don't know what they are, probably the briefest definition is an inscribed or painted symbol considered to have magical power. Sigils are used all the time in various spiritual practices and rituals, and if that calls to you, definitely look into it. It's really fun to make your own sigils for magical workings. It's also really easy. You can use symbols that already exist, like Rachel suggests. I personally love sigils, and I hope to have someone on who specializes in them in the future. Fourth and last note. I mentioned that the film industry can be a grueling rat race, and I stand by that but I want to make it clear that I'm really talking about the traditional Hollywood path. If you love film and that's the area that you're most curious about, do it. Absolutely. But just be cautious of Hollywood and maybe consider making your films on your own. 
I'm not saying that's the way you got to do it. I'm just saying I'm here in Hollywood now, literally. I've been working in the industry and I've met hundreds of people in the industry and 100% of them are astronomically stressed and about 99% of them are not loving what they do anymore because of those stress levels. I am not at all shitting on your film dream if that is your passion. It's one of my major passions as well. I'm just passing down some inside info for you. I will be taking a break from the podcast for the week of Thanksgiving. So if you're behind in episodes, next week you can catch up some and we'll be back on track with a new episode on Wednesday, December 1st. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all, if you celebrate. I hope you have a nice, chill, safe time with your family and friends, if that's possible. And if uncomfortable conversations arise, you know what to do. Just listen to hello by Adele. That is the answer. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Thanksgiving Adele. You won't be sorry. All right, y'all. Let us follow the woo. All right, let's talk about your midlife crisis because I feel like this is the beginning of your second life is what I'm Mm -hmm. calling it in my mind. Like you had this first land of Rachel and then this is like the second land or the sec 2.0 or something. Yeah, well, yeah, I kind of look at it like the thing that split my timeline in two. He had everything that comes before it and then everything that comes after it. And the part that annoys me so much is how stereotypical it is to have a midlife crisis at age 40. You know, it's just sort of like... (laughs) Can we can we do this right in the middle and and hit all of the stereotypical midlife crisis points? Sure, let's. <laughs> let's just do that. First of all, before we get into that, you were into witchcraft in your first timeline though, right? Yes, I was. I so I got my first tarot deck when I was a tween. My dad got it for me for Christmas one year. He got me this little tarot kit. He thought, "Oh, this would be great. She'll have a lot of fun with it." And I did. I I You know, I was messing with cards and, but as a 12 or 13 year old would, I didn't have any understanding of what any of it meant. I didn't even know what I was doing. It was a lot of cool pictures. I felt very witchy, even though I didn't know what feeling witchy felt like at the time. (laughs) But at that moment, I sort of said, okay, well, I'm going to be a witch now and made this decision as you do as a 12 or 13 year old. And I remember, in fact, I went to school and I was telling some girl, her name was Julie, she wanted a magic potion. I told her I could make her a magic potion because (laughs) I was 12 and I was like, I can make you a magic potion. And I said, but I need an empty toothpaste pump. Do you remember those old toothpaste pumps that came in the tube and there was like a platform in the bottom and Aww. you, you know, you squeezed and it pushed it up? I know something from the 80s, right? And <laughs> I said, I need one of those that's empty and then I will make you a magic potion. Because I thought, there's no way she's going to get this to me. She's going to forget about this. We're going to go on our lives. But no, no, like a week later, she's like, here's the tube. I want a magic potion. So I did take that tube home 
with me. <laughs> like, what do I do with this shit? What, what am I going to do with this now? But I realized in that moment, I was like, oh, okay, well, now I have to come up with something, right? And that is when I sort of made my first, well, we didn't have the internet at the time, so I made my first book run. What was in a magic potion? And I did not end up making the magic potion. She kept asking me about it. And I said, it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, got, you were like, oh, my God. Never my head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you know, at the time, it was this sort of, OK, so I, I, I had this witchy feeling. Then I told somebody I could make a magic potion. And then I tried to make a magic potion. And that kind of opened this door to this whole other world of really divination first. It was really about astrology and I was really into Nostradamus and the idea of prediction and divination and scrying. And so my my core witchy self is in divination and seer work and predictive work. But it also showed me that there were all sorts of different kinds of magics. And so I went through junior high and high school dabbling investigating, playing. By the time I was in high school, though, this was the early 90s, it was all chaos magic. I was really into chaos magic because it was super easy. Su I shouldn't call it super easy. Phil Hine might come down from the sky and strike me down. <laughs> but it was approachable. It made sense to me. And it's a lot of sigil work. And it also used modern mythology, which I also appreciated. Just out of curiosity, how would you define chaos magic? Because I know there can be some some differences in definition for some people. Well, for me, chaos magic was always using what you had on hand. What separates that from just being kind of an eclectic witch is that there is this procedure of creating sigils and creating images. And the idea is that Oh, gosh, this is such a nerdy example. But let's say that you wanted to create a feeling of harmony at a group function. Maybe you had you were having people come over to the house and you wanted to create this this sense of harmony because you knew you wanted everybody to get along together. Well, you might go to, again, nerd alert, Star Trek, <laughs> since you are dealing with a social utopia and you can use the emblem of the Star Trek badge and put that as the basis of your sigil, a sigil being this, this thing that you write on a piece of paper, this drawing that you make, this image that you make. And that image then becomes seared into your unconscious and you then get rid of it. You forget about it. You, you let it go. And it is this... The idea then of the chaos magic is that it is using these sort of random elements together to create a specific outcome, which is a little different than being an eclectic witch where it says, I make a, a green potion over here, or I work on divination over there. It's about what you collect into these sigils. Yeah. And it is when you said easier before, I know what you mean, especially for it seems like you were a solo practitioner. That's definitely more approachable than ceremonial magic on your own or oh, 
rituals. Yeah. I mean, in-depth rituals. Yeah. Especially be- when you're doing it in your bedroom as a 14-year-old yeah. <laughs> with your parents downstairs. Exactly. <laughs> it, were you, just out of curiosity, were your parents cool? I, your dad got you the deck, so he must have been kind of cool with it, but were they my okay? Dad, well, it, my dad is an atheist. So my dad does not believe that there is anything anywhere. And so he looks at it all like fun and games. He got me a Ouija board. He got me tarot cards. He actually, when we were visiting my grandparents, they lived in a community down in Georgia. It was one of these sort of retirement communities. You have to be so old to be able to get a house there. And they had a, a library. And we visited. And one day he came home with Zolar's book of encyclopedic knowledge. <laughs> and he's like, well, I stole it from the library for you. you know so he was engaged in that way and like giving me stuff my father's love language is gift giving p.s but uh, (laughs) side note (laughs) side note side note and so he would always give me these things he thought it was the same as giving my brother baseball cards yeah you know it was just like here's this thing that you're into i know you're into it it's weird stuff i don't care about it here you go my mother on the other hand came from a baptist family southern baptist family and their compromise in religion was Presbyterianism. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have ever heard of pres- being a Presbyterian, mm-hmm. but Presbyterian is like the Diet Coke of mm-hmm. Protestants. <laughs> it is like you sort of, it. yeah. It is just it is just the easiest way to 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 believe in Jesus and you know be part of a community. And so mm-hmm. that was the way they kind of found their compromise, and that was the church that I was raised in. So even when you talk about having Christian influence on me. It was not particularly brutal, let's say. It was mm-hmm. a very gentle, fun kind of, like, when you have those questions about why were there only men disciples, you know, the, the pastor would be like, ask God after you die. <laughs> you <know? laughs> Put a pin in it. <laughs> Put a pin in that one. Let's, you know, let's deal with that later. So it was really, like I said, it was, it was just really kind of easy and approachable. So I had this space to explore without judgment, which is a very, I think, unique situation, especially if you're talking about the early 90s. Now, my mother did say she wished I would spend as much time studying the Bible as I did witchcraft. Mm. And that that is her only commentary as far as how her feelings are. Her extended family, we don't talk about it. <laughs> we mm-hmm. don't talk about it. Yes, because my I have, I have an aunt and uncle who are Eastern Orthodox now. Yeah. So when I was like, hey, I'm making a podcast about witchcraft at Thanksgiving, it was like crickets. (laughs) Everyone was like, (laughs) it reminds me of this is not totally related, but like that one SNL skit with Adele. Where mm-hmm. do you remember where they're all on at the table and they all argue over the different political stuff, but then Adele unites them all? Yes. <laughs> I feel like I, I don't know why, but like big stuff comes up at Thanksgiving, like news about what you're doing, like your podcast right. about witchcraft or whatever. And then, you know, you kind of get the reaction of the extended family. And that's like the first time that you get that reaction with that group of people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, none of them have, have attacked me for it. None of them have even talked to me about it. It's This is, we are doing the very, very, very white person thing of we're going to pretend this doesn't exist mm-hmm. and move on with life. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, my extended family is also Baptist and they see sort of the fringes of what I do. And some of the the cousins and stuff know what I'm up to. 
And I'm always like, guys, like we can't talk about this in front of your parents and the aunts and uncles. I think they know a little bit, but they just kind of, we don't talk about that. That's it's pure denial is what yeah. it is. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, let's if just we pretend this is not happening. Yes, yeah. exactly. We don't talk <laughs> about it. It doesn't exist. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, back to you, Bob, about the then what happens? After oh, well, high so, and then I go on and I try to live a life and it really just sort of becomes this background I wouldn't even call it a hobby. I wasn't even doing it enough to to really have it be a hobby. But there would be candle magic occasionally. I would be facing something that was a little difficult and I would find myself turning to it. I suppose you finding yourself turning to it like you would any religion. But I was not using it as a spiritual practice. I would have never considered myself, I still don't even consider myself religious, dogmatically religious in, in any of that way. And I have struggled my entire life to figure out if other things exist. I blame this on my dad. (laughs) So, because I have both of these, I was raised with both of these thoughts that there is something and that there is nothing. And so even today, even as I am talking to you right this minute, I will change my mind depending on the day. It's really interesting. I have this like really hard science side where I want to focus on only what is empirical and then I have this spiritual side, which is like, oh, we, there are so many things that we do not know. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. And you, you even call you, I think you use the term in the pre-call secular witch. Yeah. Is that secular it? Witch. Yeah. Yeah. Which was- of any particular practice, which is different than eclectic. Again, I keep going back to eclectic because you will find the vast majority of people who are practicing will call themselves eclectic because they see themselves as sort of taking from all of the different practices mm-hmm. what works for them. And I think I totally advocate for that. But nine times out of 10, 9.9 times out of 10, there is usually a spirituality that is that is attached to it. So even if they are taking a ritual if that ritual is Wiccan, they are practicing the Wiccan aspects of that ritual as they're mm-hmm. doing it. If they are taking something that is, I'm trying to think of other sort of fairy magic. I don't know if you've ever heard of fairy, F-E-R-I. Then they might take a, a an aspect of that pantheon or that religious belief or, or, you know, how they achieve power through there and bring it in. So it has an eclectic feel. It has this, there's, there are many things coming together. Secular witchcraft is outside of all of that. It is about the person and it's about the will that you have. And I believe that people are able to create their own magic from themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't, they don't need anything else. If you want something else, that's great. But The whole point of a ritual, the whole point of lighting candles, the whole point of making circles is to frame your mind and your heart and your energy in the right direction. And if you can do that without any of the ritual, you don't need a ritual. Mm -hmm. So it it is separate from this idea of I am working with a God or I am working with a spirit. I was just going to ask you, do you ever work with any pantheons at all? Like for anything? I have one, technically two. I think I told you about this, about Archangel Michael being a stalker. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Tell so me about ha- that again. I don't know. Let's not anger the archangels, but I will say that that <laughs> that 
Archangel Michael decided he was going to stalk me for a little bit. At least I feel like it. And <laughs> the only other God that I really specifically, well, two that I do work with was Ganesha, which is about the 40-day ritual that we had talked about previously. And then Apollo. Apollo is the one, like, if there was a God who is my boyfriend, it would be Apollo. So <laughs> I feel like that's the quote of the episode right there. If there was a God that was my boyfriend. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Pretty much, pretty much. And the reason actually why I got inspired with Apollo, you would think it was because of the muses, because I was doing so much creative work, but it was actually from the story of the Trojan War and his behavior during the Trojan War. I was like, mm, yeah. That's my guy. So <laughs> That's my man right there. <laughs> That's hilarious. You're like, I have a crush on a God. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> so exactly I want to come back to Archangel Michael and his possible stalking of you. <laughs> like I, like you said, we don't want to piss anybody off. But I want to go back to the, the midlife crisis because what happens then? It's so... So you go through high school and then it kind of, it was, you were, it was on the mind, you were doing it a lot. And then it kind of went to the background of your life. You weren't really practicing. And then, then what happened? Like, how did yeah. we get to the the second timeline of Rachel? <laughs> so I'm going to have to apologize because when you talk to me, I end up going everywhere. No, so no, it's just, fine. Just bring me back to the point. <laughs> we'll get back there. Again, it was just, it was a thing that I was doing on, on the side and I had a witchy bookshelf and friends would come over and be like, oh, what's that? Can you read my cards? I'd be like, sure. You know, I read cards or something like that. But it was not something that I was doing any devoted practice with. I've been thinking about why did I go back to witchcraft? Why was that the thing that I came back to? And you have to understand with the midlife crisis, I was still even processing why I ended up in, in the place that I did. I think that there is a lot wrapped up in the way that, particularly if you're American, if you were raised and especially if you are a Midwestern American, as I was raised, there is this idea of the American dream. I live my whole life being told you could be whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You work hard. You go to school. You can achieve anything. And you combine that with the ambitions of youth as far as like, I'm going to be an astronaut or I'm going to for me, it was, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to be a published author by the time I'm 25 years old because you have no clue what reality is. So these two things kind of come together and you think, okay, well, I can achieve all of these things. And sure, if you have the financial resources, if you have no physical illness, if you are not socially impacted whatsoever, if you can afford to do whatever, when everything goes smoothly, that might be a truth. But for the vast majority of people, nothing goes smoothly, mm -hmm. whether it's economic challenges, whether it's physical challenges, whether it's emotional challenges. So I thought I was going to be able to do whatever I wanted, only to find out as I go through my 20s and my 30s, particularly as a note, suffering mental health, that was my big challenge. When you're talking about the 90s, they didn't even know what they were really doing at the time or how to recognize any of it. And so it was very, very difficult because everything I wanted to do was so 
hard. Not hard in the way that, I mean, I was a privileged person. I understand I was a privileged person in economic aspects and in social aspects. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I am so sorry. That's not supposed to happen even. It's <laughs> no, literally fine. I'm so sorry. It has the do not disturb on even. Oh, that was Michael. Yeah, oh, Michael, just... what are you up to? Maybe we should leave that in. That is really weird. Like I can even show you the like the little the little moon is on. It's so weird on my yeah. watch as well. This is the things that happen to me, actually. So. <laughs> OK, oh, keep going. You were saying um, so I was saying, yes. yes. So, you know, I'm coming from this middle class background, Midwestern middle class background. But what they didn't understand were mental health struggles and they didn't understand. Like my mother once told me. Because I asked her if she if she understood if she knew. Going back now, now I'm in therapy. Now I'm Medicaid. Now I have all of the things that I need to to have. But but when I was eighteen, nineteen, twenty, my mom said she knew something was wrong, or she knew that I was that th- this was different. This wasn't just growing up, but she didn't she didn't know what it was. So when I went to school, or when I tried to go to school, and I tried like four different times to go to college, I couldn't get through it. And so all of these things of if you go to school and you work hard and you do what you're supposed to do, well, none of that was available to me. So I kept feeling like I was failing because if you are also raised Midwestern, it is no one else's fault but your own. Mm -hmm. You didn't work hard enough. You didn't study hard enough. You didn't try hard enough. You weren't persistent enough. You weren't determined enough. And so I'm sitting here not understanding that I have a mental health issue no clue. I just think I'm a person, right? Mm -hmm. Who can't function, who can't accomplish anything and that it's my fault. So I spent many, many, many years trying and failing so that by the time that I got to my mid thirties, because I still, we still didn't even know what was going on, even, you know, when I was in my thirties that I looked around and I hadn't accomplished anything that I wanted to accomplish. I felt like I was a 35, 18 year old. I don't know if that makes sense, but my twenties were just a wasteland of drama and train wrecks, you know, (laughs) like you're in good company there (laughs) (laughs) for a time. I thought I was a rock star, you know, it's so I felt like, you know, I lost a decade. I had nothing to show for it. I didn't actually finish school until I was, I was in my early thirties. Then I finally got a four year degree, which is you know, PS has done nothing for me in the aftermath. Right. I mean, if, if only we had more people tell us that also. Right, right, yeah. right. That it so, doesn't always pan out to what they say it's going to, except you do get a hefty amount of debt, which is fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, because I was struggling all through my 20s, I thought, well, this is be- it's because I didn't finish school. It's because I couldn't finish school. And if I just finished school, all of this would work out. I finished school. It still did not work out. <laughs> so I reached this point when I was about 35, 36, 37, where I just said, you know what? I'm just going to be a mom. And understand this is the worst thing ever. Like the, I'm not saying that this was a good idea. I was like, I'm just going to be a mom and I will live vicariously through my child. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. E- even at the time I knew this is deeply wrong. <laughs> But, but, you know, I was still saying, well, maybe this will give me purpose because that's really what I was looking for. I was looking for purpose and I was looking to be good at something Mm -hmm. because I was so tired of sucking at everything. 
And then I found out I couldn't have children either. So I, after all of this sucking at everything, I'm sitting in a doctor's office and the, the fertility doctor is just shaking his head saying, oh no, this is not going to happen. So here I was confronted again with, here was this decision I had made, this person I was going to be, I was going to grow up and be a mom. And still somebody said, no, no, you're not. And for some reason, that was the moment I snapped. I think that there was a lot going on at the time, too. I mean, obviously, my husband was deeply disappointed and because he was fine. You know, he could he could go marry anybody else and have his family. So he was really upset and disappointed. I felt like, again, Midwestern raised. This was all my fault that I had caused this. I once again had failed at the thing that I was trying to do. And yo, <laughs> I just like I crawled into bed and I didn't get out. I just I just didn't. You know, it was, I would say it was months of, wow. of, yeah. I mean, it was a really dark time because I was just sitting there saying, well, what, what point do I serve? I had actually at that time called myself a parasite because I was eating, breathing, drinking, consuming for what purpose? I felt like I existed in the world to be a drain and not an addition. So it took a long, long time to sort of forgive myself for what happened. I don't know if I would use forgive. I don't know if I, I like the word forgive, maybe accept. I struggle with this idea of part of me also feeling relieved that now this wasn't my problem anymore. It was just, it was a very confusing, difficult time. And I didn't know where I was going to go next. And so I turned to tarot. I went back to being a 12-year-old kid, pulling out that tarot deck and saying, all I see is a void. Because when you have all the choices, you also have no choices. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Totally. That's a very American thing, too. It's a very Western thing but especially yeah. American. Yeah, where you're sitting there saying, well, you can do anything that you want now. You have no ties. You have no responsibilities. I didn't even have a job at the time. I was on ground zero. But then it's all overwhelming. It's like, okay, well, am I going to go get a graduate degree? Am I going to go get a job at Home Depot? Am I going to have a marriage? So... There was too much at one time to decide what was my new life going to be. And so this is when you're saying, like, if you were going to split your timeline in two, this is it. This is the moment where everything that came before was a different person. And now everything that came after is now a whole new life. And so there I was with tarot cards again. I had this tarot deck and I said, OK, well, at least I can be predictive. And I can say, if I do this, what will happen? And so that's how it kind of started. I started just doing tarot card readings and I started doing a lot of the early stuff that I had done with scrying and doing divination and using seer work to try to find my way in this darkness. And it, <laughs> I got to the point too, I got to be honest, where so much had gone wrong for me. I really didn't care what people thought of me. 
because they had so many judgments about me as far as you take anybody that's got a mental health struggle, you got people looking at you a particular way. Mm -hmm. As a woman, when you can't have children, you got people looking at you at a particular way. And so I had been judged by so many people in all of the years leading up to that, pulling out some tarot cards and some crystals. I wasn't going to give a shit what Mm -hmm. anybody thought at that point. And I had nothing to lose. Like if you're sitting there surrounded by your own darkness, why wouldn't you do whatever you wanted? Yep. Nothing to lose. Yeah. So, yeah, so that is how I found my way back. And it was the helping hand I needed that I didn't have. And I don't really quite know how to explain that. But one of the things that I had wanted when I was in that grief and despair was somebody to come along to take my hand and say, this is the way out of it. But there was nobody. Nobody could do that. Even my own husband, who I adore dearly, was even in his own grief and space and had no idea how to get through the dark forest, right? Right. So I wasn't going to be led out of it. And so reading tarot and working with divination and specifically predictive divination, that became that became a hand for me. That became the thing that led me through. And that is also when I started to think about the podcast. I wasn't even making the podcast yet, but I had this thought one day where I'm like, okay, I cannot be the only person that is lost in whatever their own situation is or whatever difficulty that they're particularly having. I can't be the only one. And if all I wanted was somebody to reach a hand back and say, hey, here's how you get through it to the other side, then shouldn't I be that for someone else? Mm Mm-hmm. And then that's how you get life, Nancy, because that's was sort of the point. It was, you have nothing to lose. Let's get weird. Like yeah. we're going to, we're going to dive into all of this weird stuff and we're going to explore it and be guinea pigs. And maybe you've walked past witchy shops and have never walked in. Maybe you're scared. Maybe you got opinions, but what do you got to lose at this point? If yeah. it's going to make you think about something differently, if it's going to give you a different perspective on your life or where you're going, why not? Right. What do you feel about reincarnation and the paths that we have in our lives? You know, because it it does feel like you had this these major lessons to get you to this point in your what was it like late 30s, early 40s, right? Or 40 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Now <laughs> that you're past that and you're in the second timeline, like how do you look at that? Do you think it's like a lesson that you gave yourself? Do you think that it's just sort of how the the hand you were dealt? I've always been inclined to reincarnation and I've always been inclined to this idea that we cycle through mostly because I feel like it explains a lot about the way that we see the world. Also, I did this incredible episode about children who believe that they were reincarnated people and the the information that they had about these other people's lives that they should not have had in any way. Yeah. And those are amazing. Yeah. And it's spooky. So spooky. But if we go with this idea that you create a soul contract, if we go with this idea that before you ever come to earth, you have sat down with your guidance counselor (laughs) and they have said, what is it that you, who do you want your parents to be? Who, what are the challenges that you want to have 
What are your successes? What do you want to learn? I struggle with this idea of, did I pick this for myself? And no offense, what the fuck was I thinking then? (laughs) (laughs) I totally get that. I'm like, why the fuck did I pick this? (laughs) Why was this my decision of all decisions? (laughs) Yeah. Again, ask me on a day. So part of me, like if I think about it today, I feel like, oh, yes, all of this had to happen because I kept trying to do things that were not going to be me and that the purpose of my life or the goal of my life or the thing that I keep working toward is who is authentically Rachel? Because Mm -hmm. I have spent my life being the Rachel other people wanted me to be. And even now I struggle with being the Rachel other people want me to be. They say, well, what do you really like? What do you want to be doing? And it's like going through this, uh, I hate to make a more Midwestern farming metaphor, but it's like going through the combine, you know, it's like, what what are you going to do? You're going to get sucked up and they're going to blow off all of the thing and find out what is the seed of you. And you're going to tear off all of these other things that other people have put on you, whether they were expectations or, or culture or, you know, whatever it is. And if that's the case, like if that's legit, like I sat down and said, I want to find my most authentic self, <laughs> then I'm going to say, yeah, you know, this is the, this is where we're headed. This is what I'm doing. On the other hand, I don't know. Sometimes shit just happens. Yeah. It, that's a tough one. I go back and forth on that also. And I think that's, that's common, but I do see what you mean about the the major contrast that you you experienced in the first part of your life was sort of like perfectly fertile for you to be like, oh my God, I have to get rid of all of this and find who I really am. Because you Mm -hmm. had had all of this noise about what you should do and how you should be and, 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 and even the location that you keep referencing, like being in Mm -hmm. the Midwest where it's particularly like shameful if you don't, X, have y, kids, and yes. Yeah. If you're not married and have kids and do all this, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it, rural, rural Midwest. I was my my entire town with like fifteen thousand people in it. Oh, it was dang! A, I lived in the middle of a cornfield. Yeah, yeah. So that's a lot. I mean, if you look at it that way, it is. It's a, it is definitely fertile for because in almost every tradition or mysticism that believes in reincarnation, will say that, and sometimes traditions that don't believe in reincarnation, but they talk about that contrast and how it usually is going to be the opposite of the thing that you were meant to learn. And so if you want to learn, if you want to learn how to, in this case, find who you are, you're going to learn how to be told what you're not going to be, you know, all the opposite you just have of, all of these roads closed off to you. Oh, like every time you go down a road and it's not for you to say, nope, and now you have failed. And yeah. now you have failed. Nope, we're not doing this either. Mm, nope, that's not available to you. So, well, yeah. And there is something, and I'm sure you look at it differently now, too. Like the cool part about that, as of course, this is hindsight is 2020, right? right? Is that when everybody, that's how you got to the rock bottom, is that everybody was like, this, do this, do this. And you were just like, one thing after the next, you failed. And then you were like, you know what? fuck it. Like I can't do any of this shit. So I'm just going to do what I'm really meant to do. I mean, obviously I wish it didn't go that way. Cause 
life sucks a lot of the time. Yeah. And we're just like, why? But at the same time, it sounds like this second timeline, you really are on purpose and you got to go back to your first love, which was writing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, right. So only in having gone through this, it humbles you. I will say that much. Kicks your ass. (laughs) It does because, so I ended up in a place even at the, on the other side of it, even when I started kind of looking at it saying, all right, well, I am, I am untethered and untethered can have two sides of the same coin. It can be scary, but it can also be very freeing. And I said to myself, all right, what is something you can do? What can you accomplish to feel like you're making forward momentum? And I went to a friend's house because she was a developer for books. She works on creating source books for role-playing games. Again, giant nerd alert. And I stood in her kitchen crying, begging for 3,000 words. I said, can you give me anything? And any freelancer is going to say 3,000 words. It's not much. (laughs) But it's what she could give me because she also needed to be auditioning me as well, I think. You know, it was sort of like, I'm not going to put a bunch on you because <laughs> you're crying in my kitchen right now. <laughs> so let's uh, let's do this small thing and see if it works. And it was that opportunity that started this whole other kind of journey I've been on as far as the writing goes. And again, every iteration is how do I get closer to the thing that I want to be doing and who I am and and what is truly me? And when do I get to stop pretending my personality traits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Again, I think it's really strong in the Western world. I think it's, I think it's the whole world. But I think for some reason, there's something about certain pockets of the United States that seems specific, especially for women, too. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pressure on women, whereas men, they kind of get more passes on things. I feel like generally speaking, you know, it's uh, there's what's that saying? Like, have the just pretend have the confidence of a mediocre white man, you know, because like, <laughs> yes, yes. They're, they're with the confidence of a mediocre white man. Yes, exactly. That is- <laughs> and it's like that that saying it exists for a reason, you know, just the the pretending your personality traits. And it sounds like what's so cool. And you mentioned this before that there was it wasn't. And I think about this a lot that enlightenment or getting to the, the, that seed of who you are, it isn't an adding on, it's a stripping away. Yes. And so yours, yours was just like, okay, I'm getting rid of that, getting rid of that, getting rid of that. And now I'm here and I'm, I'm bare and I'm, you know, you started the writing and then it led to life, Mancy. And then, but somewhere in there, when did the 30 to 40 day ritual happen? This is about the same timing, right? Like, yes. Because you yes. pulled yourself out of that dark hole with tarot to start. And then it went into this ritual, right? Well, yeah. So I was getting involved in writing. And again, one of my bad ideas, which I suppose there have been a, been a number of them, was I thought I was going to make a living putting pithy phrases on mugs. Oh, and, right. <laughs> I remember that from the call. Yes. I was, yes, I was going to open up a shop on Amazon and I was going to put clever, witty sayings <laughs> on mugs and I was going to sell mugs. I don't know if I saw something online. Like, I don't even know how this idea came to me, <laughs> but I thought I'm a writer. I'm mediocrely 
interesting. I can come <laughs> up with something. And so one of the things that you can do when you're starting a new venture or business, or in my case, shop, was you do a spell called a road opener, or you can also petition Ganesha. And because Ganesha, he himself is a road opener. You mm-hmm. know, it's this idea of starting a new venture, starting something, and, and he will guide the way, open the way for you. And it was a 40-day ritual. Every day you prayed, chanted, meditated to Ganesha on a very specific phrase, and you did it 100 times. So it was always sort of the same time you kind of repeated this phrase 100 times, and then you would go about your day, right? And it was very specific about you have to do it 40 days in a row. So I thought I would open my Amazon shop and get my mug sales ready. And then I would go and I would do this ritual to Ganesha and he would make everything great and I would go viral and everything would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Some dumb mug I made was going to be like, that's the Christmas gift of the season. And (laughs) (laughs) so I did, but I only got to like 34, 35. And I had to take a trip to Austin. I'm in Houston and I needed to go to Austin. And I had to deal with a, a event. I was, I, cause I was doing still the gaming side of it, the LARP side of it, which is the live action role play, which again, people play and dress up, having a good time. So <laughs> I had to go play dress up for a weekend and I got caught up in all the stuff that was going on there that I even had my ritual components. Like I even had them with me, but I just didn't make the time. I was just caught up in running things for people and just being busy like you would at a convention, you know? Mm -hmm. So I got back and I I had entirely planned to come back and go back to my ritual and do my stuff. And, and it was sort of my last hurrah before I really got down to doing my mugs. It was going to really apply myself in my business. And the day (laughs) 40, day 40, all of my stuff locks up. All of my Amazon account, everything, the whole thing, zoop, closed. And I get this email message that said, there has been a problem with your account. It is being investigated. And uh, we will contact you with further details at some point in the future. No, there is no number to call us. Get over it. So literally, there was no number to call them. It was some investigative team, something. So I waited a week, nothing, waited another week, ended up finally trying to get some communication, find out what's going on. But even the people that were helping me out had no idea why my account was locked. They said, there's no reason for your account to be locked. There's no, we see no problems. But I couldn't get into the consumer side. I couldn't get into the shop side, like nothing. Zippo. Wow. Yeah. So I was like, okay, well, hmm, I wonder if that has to do with me having totally borked this this ritual, right? Uh-huh. And so I, I was talking to, I was consulting with a couple of friends and they're like, hey, do some makeup days. Maybe some makeup days will do it, <laughs> which uh-huh. is again, totally Western. Like, yeah, just, just you know, make it, do a, do a couple days, get the ones you missed. Let's go. And I did. It didn't work. And so I ended up deciding that I was going to start over again. Ground zero, start over again, do it over again, do it all the way over again with the idea specifically of 
doing it for this business. Because understand at this point, life, Mancy does not exist. It's mm-hmm. not even in my mind. I'm just doing rituals for Rachel, right? And so for 40 days, I was dedicated and persistent and continued to do them. And it was very interesting because over that time when I could not go forward with the business, you want to talk about things that you are not supposed to be doing. That is when I came up with Life Fancy. So that's when I was like, well, maybe this is an idea. I, I kind of started out thinking, well, maybe I'll do spell kits. And then it kind of morphed into a podcast like you do as you you know think of ideas. And so while I am doing this meditation to Ganesha, I am also thinking about the podcast. Like these two things are now happening in tandem to the point where on day 40, I get an email from Amazon that says, we're very sorry for the inconvenience. You have access to all of your stuff again. Weird. I mean, I took pictures. No one was going to believe me. (laughs) I have, I took pictures. I still have the email. It's yes. And it was at like four in the morning too. It was this bizarre time. And the ambrosial hours. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I kind of sat there and I was like, okay. But at that moment, I didn't care about mugs anymore. Oh and my gosh. <laughs> I was like, so I'm- good. And you know what it is too. I spent some time in India uh, working with gurus and the way that gurus work is often sort of trickstery. There's often a lot of like pain in it too, or annoyance. And <laughs> this was annoyance, but yeah, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> and I just think it's so interesting that you called in Ganesha and Ganesh mm-hmm. was like, turn off that Amazon. <laughs> like, <laughs> we what need are her, you doing? <laughs> we need to get her off of that track because that track ain't working. <laughs> and it felt like Ganesha's removal of obstacles, like you said, it felt like blockages but actually it was opening the other path right and then it's so funny that like you do the whole ritual again and on the 40th day it's like Ganesha knew that you wouldn't be interested in the mugs anymore and it was also just kind of like a nod that you did it you did the full ritual and here's your your reward which is not at all which you thought the reward was going to be like, you were like, I don't give a shit about mugs anymore. And Ganesh is like, exactly, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what happened. That is exactly what happened. And so that was late fall. It was in October, um, but it was late October of 2018. And January 1st, 2019 was when I released Life Fancy. The podcast. Yeah. 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 And, and that has been an entirely different trajectory and I'm happy to be doing it. It's exciting. I've been doing it now for a couple of years. We're on season three. Well, I, I took a small hiatus because of vampires, which we can talk about if you want to. <laughs> oh yes, I would like to. I always want to talk about vampires. <laughs> yeah. But that's what I've been doing now. And I've been trying to, again, get this message out of saying, You have to do what you, you have to find who you really are and you have to not be afraid to try new and different things. Yeah. And it's funny. I actually have a similar sort of path as yours in some ways in that, like I came to Los Angeles 
in 2018, strangely, mm-hmm. the same year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is my, I knew it. I was like, if I don't go to LA now, I'm never going to go. And it was because I had gone to film school twice. And I was like, I'm going to do, I'm going to go to Hollywood. I'm going to go yeah. and make my movies. And I got here and I started, I did, I was already working in the industry. So I sort of eased my way in working with a filmmaker, documentarian. And then similarly to you, this is where it kind of lines up to your story. I got bitch slapped all around and I was like, <laughs> what like you is do? happening? <laughs> and then um, the pandemic happened yeah. and I was, you know, kind of reevaluating. So I got into film and then I started working in another layer of film away from the documentarian, who is a great, great person, by the way, just side note. Then I, I started to realize that here in Hollywood, the way Hollywood works is this like grind, grind, grind. And it's like these forever long days. And it's just not Mm -hmm. the way you think it's going to be. So I started working with this independent filmmaker and she's like, oh, you can do it a different way. Then the pandemic happens. And then I had to put it all on hold because the whole industry shut down, everything shut down. And I started to go back like you to what I always loved even before film, which was the woo which was mm-hmm. the weird shit, which was witchcraft. Mm-hmm. And so then I went into that space and then the the podcast came out and I was just like, oh, well, I'll do the podcast and then I'll go back to film after. And then it, the podcast was like, no, honey, this is what you're doing now. And then also, yeah, I'm sure I'll do some film things in the future, but I think a lot of them will be connected to this, right. this, this path. And it's mm-hmm. so it's so funny because like yours was mugs and mine was film. And I, I it's funny how if you get off track at a certain point, the universe is like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> what are you thinking? God. Stop. <laughs> yeah. At this point, do you feel like you're done? You did the 40 days. Now you're doing life, Mancy. Do you feel like you're fully out of that like dark? spot and you're you're stepping back into being a witch well I definitely feel like I am past the worst of it but I am still learning every day like I am I am by no means a a guru on the hill uh, (laughs) having found enlightenment and telling others to follow me no I am a work in progress I'm a messy messy work in progress (laughs) and so but I do if, if anything I might be one step ahead of the person that's just going into the darkness, you know, and I sort of feel like that's okay. One day someone might come around and say, oh, life, Nancy, you learned stuff from there. But now we're going to do this other thing over here. So and and I kind of do feel like that because through life, Nancy, I learned podcasting. I've learned, you know, audio basics and, and editing so that now that I am writing the vampire audio drama, I'm able to be a writer again and bring in this whole aspect of audio technology. And now they are synergized in this project that I'm finding immensely satisfying. Which is crazy, right? Because it's like the whole first part of your first timeline, the whole whole timeline, not just the first part of it was this hard, 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 pushing, 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 not a lot of satisfaction, you were saying. And now it's like 
all of these things are clicking together so synchronistically. It's like, oh, the audio works for this other thing that I'm doing. And the woo is kind of swirling in and around all of it because right. not only are you practicing witchcraft and doing life mancy, which is woo centric, but you're also writing about vampires, you know? <laughs> I mean, like it just, the woo was like, come to me, honey, come. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. writing for vampires has then turned around and allowed me to write for uh, Dune, Adventures in the Imperium. So we just had Dune release and that is kind of a big deal. And so yeah. I'm helping write the role play game for that. And yeah. So That's... the fact that I get to sit around all day, I talk on a microphone, I write about ornithopters and spice, <laughs> and then I put fangs on at night. When I was 18 saying, I'm going to publish a book by 25. If I hit like, if I hit the phone call, like ring, ring, uh, hi, this is 18 year old Rachel, by the way, you're going to be, you know, doing X, Y, Z, 18 year old me be like, mm, mm. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know about that. You couldn't, you couldn't see where you were going to be where you are. And so, and here is good. And two years from now, Maybe it's something else. But I think the largest lesson I learned is that acceptance, you know, accept where you are, accept what you're doing, follow your intuition. You can't lie to yourself as much as you try. Mm -hmm. Your heart always knows. And just learning to be cognizant of when something is not right. Because I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of years, decades knowing things weren't right, but having no way to articulate it mm -hmm. and no way to, to change it. So now tuning into that idea of what's right for me, what isn't right for me, it's still hard to know all the time, but I feel like that's, that's the thing I'm working on right now. Yeah. What would be, since we're here in, in this, this space for a second, what would be your advice beside what you just offered to people who are going through a hard time and considering witchcraft or some other, you know, maybe paganism or, or some other woo magic practice. Stay off witch talk. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it can be a dangerous place. It's true. <laughs> yes. Stay off witch talk. I think really, particularly if somebody's going through a hard time, find the thing, the one thing, no matter how weird or strange it is, that excites you. Because I think that was the biggest thing for me was what is going to excite me enough to get me out of bed? What is going to excite me enough to put in the effort to find out what is on the other side of this thing? What's fun enough? Like one of the, as adults, we don't play anymore. And now mm. my whole purpose is play every day because in play, that's when you learn things. That's when you're the most creative. That's when you get excited about things. So you got to find something to play with. And something that excites you enough that it's fun. I love that. I, I think that that's something that I am always trying to remember too, to remember to play and have fun. And I think that's actually something that I learned in the process of being in the film industry. There's no fun there. I hate to break it to anybody out there who's, <laughs> who's like, I'm headed to Hollywood. Honey, you're going to be severely disappointed. It's, it is a rat race. Most people in the industry are very unhappy there's not a lot of play and there's not a lot of fun. It's a mm -hmm. lot of hard, grueling work. And then when you pivot to the woo, if if you have an interest in it, and I'm, I'm guessing if your listeners out there, <laughs> you're listening, say. you're probably interested. Um, when you pivot to that, 
you know, you, your curiosity is peaked because it's mm-hmm. stuff that you just don't completely understand. And, and I love that you're encouraging people to find the thing that excites you, you know, is it, is it vampires? Is it, right. is it witchcraft? Is it specifically like down to the nitty gritty? Like, is it sigil work? Is it mm-hmm. ceremonial magic? Is it candle work? Is it tarot? Find the thing where you're like, Ooh, I got a little like pep in my step about this or whatever and and follow that i think that's such good advice and witch talk yes i hear you on that can you tell me just what from your perspective why you think witch talk is problematic because i want to hear just from you witch talk is problematic for anybody who is just starting out because they cannot you do not know enough to know the charlatans from the people who are actually giving you good wisdom uh, you can get really caught up in the 15-second or 30-second soundbite of something without understanding the, the history and the reasons and the foundation behind the idea. Even if someone is telling you truth and, and conveying wisdom to you, it's one minute tops. Yeah. That person cannot explain to you the reasons why XYZ is going on in that time or the context that you need to have to understand the purpose of what they're telling you. So yeah. that's why I, I just think for somebody starting out, it's a, it's a really, really easy to find yourself caught in trying to do the right thing. Cause especially when you're just starting out, you're always like, well, is this the right thing? Is this, am I doing it exactly correct? Am I, you know, what's right and what's wrong. And you're going to find that it's which talk gosh, 70, 75% of those people are wrong. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, first of all, yeah. it's not good information. Secondly, though, you're going to feel bad about yourself in yeah. the end. And as soon as you start to feel bad about yourself, you're not, you're going to stop. You're going to quit. Why, why would you want to sit there and feel bad about yourself while you're doing the thing that you thought was fun? Exactly. That's, that's the opposite of what you want the practice to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to go back to Archangel Michael stalking you. (laughs) Can you tell me what happened there? (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. It's was just really bizarre because I was in a tarot class. It was a class kind of met once every couple of weeks. And the idea was that you would pick a tarot card. And then that tarot card was a message that you should kind of live with for a while. And how do you use um, Kabbalah and some of these other practices, including Christianity, in the tarot to sort of find your path? It's this idea of where is the wisdom in the tarot based on a lot of esoteric concepts. There was a woman in there who was a, a medium, And she said, well, Rachel, you have an angel standing behind you and and sort of with open hands, kind of trying to push you along here. And I don't I didn't see anything. And and I was like, "Okay, well, that's that's beautiful. That's nice. That's that's lovely. That's fine. Thank you, angel, whoever you may be. And I went about my day and she drew a picture. She was one of those as a medium that draws. And so she kind of drew the picture of it. And this was also while I was kind of interested in doing Life Mancy too. I went to a local festival, local Astara festival, actually. And mm-hmm. so it was in the early spring. And there was an aura reader. And she was drawing pictures of people's auras. And I still have this picture. She She's drawing all of the, if you can imagine, you, you have the shape of you. And then you have all the spectrum of kind of colors. And she was using pastel chalk. 
-hmm. So a lot of rubbings and and you can kind of get this kind of blurry thing. And then she takes her blue chalk and she makes this blob right over my head. And she's like, what is this blob? I don't know why you have a blob here, but this blob (laughs) is trying to talk to you. What is going on? What's interesting is I had named that angel Michelle. So I was like, okay, Angel, if you're around, you're Michelle. Well, there's this thing where you can kind of find out spirit guide names, like what name comes to you. So there was this meditation that I had done that was sort of you you quiet your mind and you push yourself in sort of this kind of no-think place, a relaxed kind of no-think place, and whatever you got to do to get there. Like there's not really any specific steps. But then you just count back three, two, one. And whatever name pops in your head is sort of the the guide that is with you. Don't second guess the name. Even if it's Bob, don't second guess it. That's the name. And so when I did this, it was Michelle. I said, okay, Michelle, you're hanging out with me, right? Okay. And so when problems would come up, I would say, Michelle, this is your problem, not mine. You know, like I'm, you know, it was just a way to kind of unload the things I was feeling. And I remember I was sitting eating with my husband out at a place pre-pandemic and I could have sworn there was somebody right next to me on the right side. And I was like, why do I feel like somebody's sitting? No one was there. Understand. You know, my husband was across from me. He's like, I don't know why anybody's here. I look up and the television has the angels playing. And I pointed out to him. And he's very skeptical. He's like, oh, okay. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And I would just have that sense. I don't know how to explain that sense of knowing when, when somebody is next to you. At one point, we were at, we were at a gas station. We were in the freezer section, opening up freezers. And I kept pushing him, my husband, out of the way. I was like, step up, honey, step up. Like, we were moving up. To, get a, to give someone room to pass behind us. There was no one behind us. But it is this sense of like, mm. I am in someone's way right now. So I get to this aura drawer artist. I'm like, what is this blue blob? I'm like, it's probably Michelle. <laughs> and she says, well, you know what Michelle is French for, right? And I said, well... Michael. She's like, yes. She's like, I think you have, and and it was blue. And she's like, I think you've got the Archangel Michael trying to talk to you. And I was like, the Archangel Michael has more important shit to do than to talk to me. (laughs) Right. I said, I said, that can't be, that can't possibly be it. The Archangels are busy. And she says to me, they're Archangels. Why are you attributing any human ability to them whatsoever? If there are these energies that are beyond anything that we can comprehend, why couldn't he be a million places at once? Mm-hmm. Like, why Why does it matter? Why, and, and why do you think you are not worthy of having an entity pay attention to you? Exactly. And I was like, mm, that's a point. All right. <laughs> I'll so, take it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> then a couple of months later, We had to go back to, I actually lived in Boston for a while. My husband works with a company that is still located up near Salem. So we had to go back to Salem and we were spending a week there and I was getting interviews ready for Life Mancy. In fact, Justice the Wizard was the the interview I was getting ready and I was going to the shop. And we were talking about 
the Archangel Michael and some of these kind of in our, in our own conversations, totally kind of unrelated to what was going on. But when I looked at the front of the shop, their patron was the Archangel Michael. So I'm walking in and here is this statue of the Archangel Michael being like, hey, Rachel, how you doing? <laughs> I was like, hello, sir. It's good to see you. The instances after that get into a lot of why is the Archangel Michael here? Pretty much mm -hmm. synchronicities. Synchronicities and people like I go into readings and they're like, why is why why are we talking about the Archangel Michael? And I'm just I just throw up my hands. I still don't know what he wants. I was gonna I, ask, have you gotten any messages? No, no. The only no one wants to hear about somebody else's dream. But the only thing I can explain <laughs> is that I had this dream. I am not Catholic. I told you I'm Presbyterian. I don't know anything about the archangels. And I had this dream where in this dream, I'm talking to people again, you don't care about these details. All you care about is the point when the angel shows up. <laughs> and, and I didn't even believe there's this old couple. They're like, well, he's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And I was like, I don't care. I don't know who this is. Who are you talking about? They're on the ground kneeling. And then I suddenly feel this house. I'm sitting and shaking and, and I'm like, okay, maybe I should get on the ground and kneel. Maybe I'll do that. And <laughs> I did. And then I was looking out this window of this house. The whole room filled up with purple light. And I saw this outline of a humanoid shape floating that's like, here I am. And then bounced. And I was like, well, wait a second. So I started looking up purple and stuff. And, that, and it ended up falling into Zadkiel, which was another archangel. And... I can tell you every conversation I had in that dream. And there is a difference between the dreams, which are brain junk and the dreams in which I can still feel the shag of the carpet. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That there, there is a difference between a dream and a visitation. And I firmly believe that that was a visitation. I just wish they would tell me what the hell they want heck heck heaven what the heaven do they want <laughs> <laughs> have you tried doing any hypnosis or like even like an sc session or work with the ghost box or in any kind of i haven't and i would be contact. very interested and i would be yeah. very interested in trying to do that the closest i came is i went on a light trip i did a light travel mm -hmm. those were different kinds of experiences and different kinds of potential people in the light travel situation but i i've just I do a lot of automatic writing mm. and I try to communicate that way, but I firmly believe that there is something. Oh, and I did give him a shout out in my vampire drama. Just so you know, I did. So like, I, I also made a favor. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's interesting that you bring him up specifically because recently I did a hypnosis session that was insane. And if you're ever interested, let me know. I'll give you her info. Uh, um, absolutely. Yeah. It's t it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had. And she took me back to multiple lifetimes. But at one point we were in this liminal space and I didn't know what it was. I'm just describing it to her. I'm in like, I'm fully inducted and I, I'm kind of like, you know, like off to the <laughs> side, kind of drooling. Like she put me way under, which was unusual in itself. And I'm explaining this entity that shows up in this liminal space. And she's like, that sounds like Archangel Michael. And she's like, tell me more about what he looks like. And, 
it's it, so seemingly or possibly he he popped into my to my space for a second and i don't know a lot about like i imagine you've done some research like what is his jam what's his his whole- jam is his his jam is a warrior like he leads the army of angels he destroys that which is evil he slays demons it's He's uh kicking ass. yeah no he's <laughs> straight up ass kicker. <laughs> He's and, kicking ass for you, apparently, yeah. all the time. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Kick more ass, would you please? <laughs> um, so, but that's his thing. He, he's, he is the um, sword of the angels. Well, we're a little bit over here, but I do want to ask you, I, I want to ask you one more question. So um, I am curious to hear what happens with Archangel Michael. And if you do end up doing any like medium work or anything where he can communicate directly to you, I'd love mm-hmm. to hear if you're willing to share it. Absolutely. Cause Absolutely. that's a cool ride that you're well, on. I'm going to have, I'm going to need to have you on my show and then we'll talk about it then too. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> I'm putting a pin in, in the stocking of Archangel Michael, <laughs> which is great. I love that. I want to wrap up here, but what is the most profound paranormal supernatural woo experience that you've ever had mm, yeah that i gotta tell you ganesh and the ritual that's i mean <laughs> that's tops <laughs> that, i mean that's pretty tops i mean if we're talking about like on the creepy side of it i i do believe that i lived in a haunted house as a child really? so yes yes i do i i specifically believe that I had to walk through a ghost to get to my parents' room one night. But yeah. Oh, no big and, deal. No big deal. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, but I was young enough. I didn't even quite understand what I was having to do, but it was definitely a manifestation of a mist. And and so it was, again, think of an old farmhouse. Our house was one of the oldest houses over a hundred years old. It was one of the first ones kind of in the neighborhood. So you have a two-story house. There was a stairwell and you would go up the stairwell, and at the top of the stairwell, you could turn right or you could turn left and go down a hallway that was to other rooms. So you sort of had a room on the right, you had a room on the left, right on the corner, and then if you went around the banister and back towards you know, the front of the stairwell, only on the second floor, there was another bedroom, and that was my parents' bedroom. I was on this corner, the left corner bedroom, and the bathroom was across the hall. So you would have to go down the hall to the bathroom. And I would, I was coming back and there was this entity standing in the hallway between my bedroom and my parents' bedroom. And I was so freaked out. I was like, okay, well, I can either go back and be by myself or I walk through this ghost and get to my parents' room. I decided to walk through the ghost, which I ended up fine, but I did do that thing where you kind of run. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, all right, I'm going to run through this. But what would happen is even as we remodeled that house and even as my dad would rebuild those stairs, they would still creak. You could hear someone walking up them every night. And I would try to explain this to my parents. I got so scared. I started living in my closet at one point, sleeping in my closet. And yeah, the closet, when the closet isn't the scary place for the kid, you know, let's 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 investigate that, folks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my, my parents were like, they never experienced anything or they still don't believe it or they still like I still to this day tell them that house was haunted. And they're like, well, I don't know. Well, no, I was going to say I did have uh, a woman come up to me later because we they'd sold, we'd sold the house and we moved um, when I was uh, late high school. And she did ask me randomly 
totally randomly, because she knew the people who had, who had bought the house. She said, is that house haunted? She asked me, because mm-hmm. apparently they came home one day and all of the windows were open. That's weird. And, yeah. And I said, I think so. My parents don't. I do. And I even told my parents about this. And my dad's like, oh, that was just some kids playing a trick on them. So, mm. I, I mean, yeah. I got an atheist for a dad. He doesn't believe yeah. any of it. <laughs> exactly. Do you remember what that entity looked like that you had to walk through or run through? Think of an oval that mm. kind of had like a little bit of a face form at the top that you might have. But it was really just sort of like a, it was more like a blur, like a white misty kind of thing. Very thin, very ethereal. Hmm. Do you remember a temperature change or anything when you went through that feeling of cold or? I don't because I think I was so focused on where is the doorknob? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You were like, I don't remember. I was just one track mind at that moment. Yeah. But I do remember having this, the, the constant creaking of somebody walking up the stairs. Now at first we had old stairs, but then they replaced the entire stairs with oak stairs. Like there was there no creaking should have been happening. And yet it was mm. the same creaks as previous. Like it, it was. It's spooky. interesting. It's like the woo was in your early life and it kind of like laid a foundation for you, but then it didn't kick back in until much, much later. Right. Yeah. I always wonder about, I have a theory that people who grew up in haunted houses or who let's, I, I, Michael's here again. She's completely blurry audience. She's <laughs> listeners. She's completely blurry again. It's actually kind of hilarious how blurry she is. I can't see her at all. That's yeah. so unusual. And what's weird is that it's just blurry and I can mm-hmm. hear you perfectly. So it's not mm-hmm. like an internet. That's weird. Bizarre. Sorry. No worries. This, it's all the time. This is my life. This happens all the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was I was I do interviews and the interviews the everything will just shut down. And I So weird. Yeah, technology yeah. and and entities is always kind of a persnickety situation. But what's interesting to me is only when we are specifically talking about it does it happen. Yeah. That's so weird. Well, I have to wrap up here, but I'm sure I feel like we're going to talk again, whether it's on your (laughs) podcast or we're going to do a podcast again or or another episode again. Is there any last words that you'd like to share with the listeners? You know, find what you love and do it. Yeah. Like, don't let anybody stop you. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it's super simple advice, but if you can hold on to that and run with it, that's it could be entirely life changing. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's weird to not see you, but um, thank you so much, Rachel. Where you yeah, are you? I'm, I'm here from the ethereal other side. Have a great day, Rachel, and I'll talk yeah, to you. Yeah, you too. All right, thank you. Bye bye. Right, bye. I am pretty convinced that the Archangel Michael or some entity or energy was messing with our shit during this interview. Because like I said, my phone was on silent and even had the little moon on it for do not disturb. Plus, I have never had a full zoom screen go completely blurry, like to the point where I can't even make out that there's a human on the other side. I mean, I've had some blurriness happen or freezing, but that has never happened to my knowledge without the audio also being weird or laggy too. Weirdness. 
Like I said, you should definitely check out Rachel's podcast, Life Mancy. It's so refreshing. The audio is amazing. The topics are amazing. And she has really cool guests. You should also check out her vampire works. I definitely want to dig into Vampire, the Masquerade, Port Saga, audio drama. That's something that I can listen to on my drives. All of those links will, of course, be in the show notes. All right, take good care of yourselves, and let me know if you do anything witchy over the weekend. Bye! Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, follow the woo.